This is 69 The Podcast. I'm Dave Haynes. 69 has been covering the digital signage industry since the dawn of man, first online and now as a podcast. The goal on here is to make listeners aware of interesting companies, smart people, and new technology developments, all of them meaningful in making digital signage projects happen. I try to help listeners understand sometimes complicated subjects and why they should care. The podcasts are free and I try to get a new one out weekly, but things happen now and then. The 69 Podcast has been gratefully sponsored and supported since the start by Jeremy Gavin and the fine folks at ScreenFeed, the digital signage content store. ScreenFeed makes beautiful-looking, totally automated content for signage and digital out-of-home networks. Check them out at ScreenFeed.com. 69 has been around since 2006, and the publication and podcast are now owned by Spectrio, which provides customer engagement solutions for business. You can find them at Spectrio.com. Reach Media Networks has been around the digital signage ecosystem since 2005, and like many of the companies in this sector, its focus and strategy has evolved a lot based on customer needs and marketplace conditions. The Minneapolis area company got its start as a place-based media network, putting screens in venues on its own dollar and making that investment back through ad sales. As pretty much anyone who's done a digital out-of-home network will confirm, ad sales is hard work no matter the environment and audience. Reach was generating real money from ad sales, but with a business focus first on screens and community ice hockey rinks, the network's growth potential was finite. For the last several years, Reach has been going to market instead as an end-to-end digital signage solutions provider, building up a pile of clients in sectors like corporate and healthcare, and realizing reliable, recurring revenues from SaaS licenses. Reach is seeing a lot of success, despite operating pretty quietly, by servicing the hell out of its customer base and putting a lot of investment into software integrations. I spoke with CEO Darren Wierczynski and Kirsten Gibson, the company's EVP for sales and marketing. Darren and Kirsten, thank you for joining me. Uh, Can you give me the summary that you would rattle off when someone asks you what your company's all about? Sure. Yeah. Number one, thank you for having us on the podcast today. So we're excited to to finally get to talk to you and, and share a little bit more about Reach. We actually started in 2005, and, and I feel really old as I sort of tell stories today, uh, thinking about sort of the company in general. But right now, we have over 6,000 clients. We manage around 30,000 screens. Um, we really kind of run the gamut, I guess, from large Fortune 500 clients. We do signage for Hormel, uh, Caterpillar, a lot of the big companies that, that you might be familiar with, to a lot of college campuses, so Northwestern, UCLA, USC, uh, all of our partners. And then likewise, we have... Uh, I guess we've expanded a lot in the healthcare and mass general and, and uh, just a lot of, I guess, industries and verticals. If you've been in the industry as long as we have, you've actually get customers for every vertical. But uh, the mm-hmm. company has about 50 team members right now. We actually have 10 open positions. So we're, we're really growing. And, and we tell this to a lot of our clients that we feel like we're in a sweet spot of just big enough to provide, you know, kind of a robust digital signage solution with a budget that we can afford to, to invest in things. But at the same time, kind of that small focus on customer service and support. So uh, quite honestly, we've been in the industry so long. We've seen lots of things change. I mean, Dave, especially, you know, companies have come and gone. Business models have changed. Our own business model has changed and evolved. There's been consolidation in the industry. But uh, as a whole, it's been a lot of fun. It's been a really great ride. So where do you start and stop in terms of your services? Uh, You've got a software platform. Do you do like managed services, aftercare, that sort of thing as well? Um, we would consider ourselves a full um, a full service solution. And what I mean by that is there's some uh, signage companies or CMSs, and that's really what we are, 
uh, that really focus on just downloading the software and you're good to go and, and, and you know, sort of off and running. Ours is a little bit different because we do provide the end-to-end solution. So our clients may say, hey, we want, uh, you know, screens, uh, players, uh, the signage, we'll sell them all that. And then in addition, we'll actually uh, use install coordinators to get them up and running and trained. We'll use our own creative team to build all their layouts and assets uh, and really get them up and running uh, from that perspective, along with um, uh, technical support that's unlimited. Uh, so we really kind of in account managers to help them along the way. That's kind of the way we look at the business of providing that end-to-end solution, which is a little bit different than other people as well. Is that a, an ask that you're seeing uh, quite a bit in in the marketplace? I, I get a sense and have for a few years now that uh, large companies don't, or they, they, they're interested in digital science. They see the benefits and everything else but they don't want to fully manage it and they would really prefer to have uh, an outsourced solution that here, this is what we want. You guys do it. Yeah. I wouldn't say we're an outsourced solution. I, I think that our tool is so easy to use in terms of our content management platform. We try and make it in, in, as such that clients can easily go in there and update and publish their content. Really that's, at the end of the day, that's all they really want to do. So that's why we build the layouts for them, all the integrations, everything, and they can come in and easily manage the content. Uh, Kirsten, what are your thoughts on that? You you deal most with the clients. Yeah, I would say, you know, it boils down to the service and what the client's looking for. Like Darren said, we'll be as hands-on or hands-off as needed in terms of that implementation, getting them up and running, you know, building out everything for them. In terms of kind of the ongoing managed services, we're not necessarily creating the day-to-day content for them, but we are Mm -hmm. providing them the support that they need. So for example, Six months down the road, they might have a rebrand or they might have a whole new group of users or maybe their content is going stale and they want to get some automated applications into the signage just so then maybe there's safety messaging or health tips or something like that that we can really um, assist with and provide that automated content. So I would say it kind of just runs the gamut of what the client's use case is and who they have managing it. I think that's one of the things we've learned, especially with these larger projects. If they don't have that from the beginning, um, you know, it might be something that they implement in six months and that's where we come in. That's where that support continues to be unlimited and ongoing. And we provide Mm -hmm. that whole um, service solution. I would say that reaches a very hands-on, customer-focused, client-focused company. So um, we are here to help them. Uh, We're here to be flexible with their needs. And and I think that's really been part of our secret sauce uh, in terms of adding a lot of clients uh, across many industries. Just the one thing to add to that, with really the shift from our business model, you know, we are SaaS-based. And that, that S at the end is really the thing that we focus on, as Darren said, you know, it's it's the software, but it's also the service. And we provide, you know, both end-to-end solution that way. Yeah, I was going to say that, that I, I've certainly run into companies through the years, uh, software companies that are very good at sales, uh, but it, it kind of falls apart in aftercare. <laughs> they, you know, they, they close the deal and <laughs> they're on to the next one and they're not really paying much attention to their clients. Hey, and as a result, you see a lot of attrition, a lot of churn where, uh, you know, they, they have a contract with end users have a contract with one company for three years. And as soon as that contract is lapsing, they're, they're, they're moving to somebody else because they're not seeing the kind of service they want. 
Yeah, I mean, we love the fact that these companies keep getting bought up by private equity firms, and the first thing they cut out is their support. Even though I know you got bought up by a private equity firm, our secret. Uh, uh, I, I'm but my I mean, own support team, so <laughs> <laughs> no, I understand. But I mean, that that for us is good news because um, it's just as you know, in that that model, which is which is consolidation happens. Usually, support is is one of the things to go, and that's where we can differentiate ourselves against bigger competitors and say, listen. Yeah, they might do some things. Uh, they might be bigger, but we're certainly going to be better on the support side. And we've seen a lot of new customers come over from companies that have uh, and, and, and and industries that have sort of been left out there. And we've kind of swooped in. And um, one I can think of, we just took over Texas A and M uh, from a competitor that that was uh, you know for a number of years, and now it's it's a network of over four hundred uh, licenses, and they seem really happy with the service and excited to keep expanding. It, was that? I'm curious about that one in particular. You know, we don't have to dig into it very much and mm-hmm. cause any trouble. But uh, I, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm, I'm curious if it's more when they're making a switch. It's more about service and that sort of thing as opposed to price, which used to be, and I guess still in the case in some situations where the re- the reason why uh, people switch is that you know sure. they just want to trim their budget. Yeah. And I, I definitely think that when we go, and I'll just, I don't care. I can throw out names. It doesn't matter. When we go do RFPs against Four Winds or AppSpace or even Spectrio to some, some degree, um, you know, it, it does come down to price. And we try and add both the value component in our software, the service component and the price component. Uh, we're certainly going to be under under those three in particular. And so, you know, it, we try and bring that value equation and lots of references from our other partners that who may have used those guys or others in the past. I think the reach is a great option and, and they're a little bit mm-hmm. uh, less expensive and they frankly do a better job. I, I've been aware of, of reach for many, many years now. It, it's It's been a little bit confusing because there's <laughs> a whole bunch of companies out there that use the term reach uh, if they're yeah. associated with media in some way. And you want to hear even a crazy RMG networks, which oh confuses things for me. We actually, at one time, uh, this is how long ago, I think his name was Gary McGuire, correct me if I'm wrong. Yep. Uh, yep. yep. And so that's how long we've been around. And so we were actually working with Lifetime Fitness, and Lifetime Fitness was worth both working with reach our reach reach media network and re- rmg and we sort of had even a, a legal at um at lifetime fitness is, is sent us each individual contracts for the wrong company <laughs> so that's that's how confusing it was and stuff so we've just been around a long time in the space but um really kind of in our roots and, and i think that's maybe where some people don't know as much about reach or just our story um so we actually started out, uh, so Mark Klein, my business partner and co-founder, um, this is years and years ago, so I think 2005, we were thinking about a business model that that could really attract in sort of the youth sports space. Um, and so I was working at Best Buy Corporate at the time and in our strategy group. And the one thing I sort of realized and, and was going to be a real challenge for Best Buy was the price of, in this case, plasma screens, if you can think that far back, mm-hmm. um, were going to collapse. They knew this capacity was coming on in China. We knew the cost of screens were going down. And so a $3,000 screen for 50-inch plasma was going to go to 1500 in, in two years or whatever the number was. So I, I sort of was thinking about that space. Um, Mark really liked the youth sports space, and and we decided to actually uh, go with an ad-based model where we would give, in this case, ice arenas, which are big in Minnesota, by the way, in Canada, mm-hmm. as you know. Um, oh, yeah. We would give them the software and the technology that could show their locker rooms. And that was really their pain point is because they used to have those white easel boards out 
um, that would show you know, like they'd write on them, the locker room assignments. So we actually started and integrated with some software companies that would show the locker room assignments and uh, we'd go and sell basically local ads to, to really fund it. And, and so that's how the company sort of grew and grew. And so we, outside of Minnesota and Canada and, and a little bit on the East coast, uh, ice arenas just aren't really that big of a deal. And that's how we started mm -hmm. expanding into other verticals, really more fitness centric. So YMCA's community centers, uh, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and we grew this ad based market. And if you know anything about ads and I, I think you do, especially in the digital signage ads are certainly not bought, they are sold. And it is a yeah. very grinding business. I mean, oh, you're yeah. cold calling, um, you're, you're relying on reps to, to really most of them commission based to go out and sell every year. Um, there's not a huge, uh, high renewal rate on ads, uh, renewing every year. So that means you're going back into these same locations and trying to resell ads. So, um, about, and I would say we're, we reach has been a startup twice. So we actually built that business model on just ads. And, and I'll say, we think we had about a network of about 500, uh, screens at the time, our partners, uh, we built it to about a $5 million local ad business which hmm. in that, in that space is pretty, pretty, pretty amazing. So I'm always indebted to our, our team who, who our ad team who helped build that out. Um, but really at that time I could sort of see the writing on the wall in terms of trying to scale that business, which is next to impossible. And actually there were some other, other companies sort of doing that as well. Um, and about that time, we either got to the point that our good locations or ad locations, they didn't want ads. They just wanted to use our software. And they said, hey, we really love your software. We don't want the ads on the screen. Can we just pay you a fee? And I started thinking, yeah, that, that's, that sounds great. Because uh, it's that recurring fee. And, and at other times, we had ad locations that were terrible in a bad part of town or we couldn't sell ads. So they just we went to them and said, listen, we're going to close this thing down unless you want to pay a fee. And they said, sure, we'd love to. And so we slowly started transitioning our business model and we started getting into more colleges and just using our entire application to solve many of the use cases that we still have today. Do you do any digital out of home stuff now? Um, we do a little bit just because I'm so damn loyal to all those reps who've helped build the company. So we do still have a little bit of that business, but primarily it, it's almost everything is geared software as a service. At one time, um, I'll say I'll say eight years ago, uh, for our platform, we had about 20 reps, one IT guy, <laughs> maybe one other support guy, and the rest was just grinding through ads. And so now we have uh, almost uh, 20 uh, developers and IT people. We have a variety of different teams. Uh, Kirsten, I mean, you could probably tell me more about how the company's changed over those years. Well, I mean, starting out with what beer pong uh, lunches on like a Wednesday <laughs> with a group yes. of what, 10 yes. of us? <laughs> yeah, that's, those are the good days. Those are the fun days, Dave, where you could just relax at lunch and play some beer pong. And, and um, sometimes the problem was the beer pong extended from lunch into the afternoon and through the evening. So yeah, there's a lot more structure. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Right. No, Made there's some good stories, but yeah. Yeah, I was going to say, I mean, definitely from 10 years ago, that's when I started with the company. I sat next to our one developer. Um, there was one support guy who's also installed too. So we still <laughs> installed the screens for these ad-based um, uh, facilities. But no, the one thing I would say, like Darren said, we have 20 developers now from the one when I started. Um, mm -hmm. But then also just our customer success teams. Um, we always knew that support obviously was... Um, a big component. Um, we've always had at least one support person when the company started, but now we have just different um, customer success teams that we continue to build on. So 
Um, like Darren said, you know, our install coordinators are more or less project managers for that implementation. We have the account management team, we have a support team, we have a design team, we have, you know, we're building our marketing. So one of the things that's really exciting, especially kind of what I've been involved in recently is not only expanding our clients, but building our partnerships, not only with our hardware providers, but um, some of our integrator partners, um, like Darren was mentioning with the locker room schedules and everything, just really expanding on that because at the end of the day, kind of building their confidence with us is only going to help build our uh, client portfolio as well. I found it interesting when you were talking about the the locker room schedules, Darren, uh, that that going back to uh, the mid 2000s, doing data integration like that, mm-hmm. and that's fundamentally what it was, yep. was pretty rare. You would see it in airports on uh, departure yep. screens and so on, but that was pretty much it. So you, you were you were doing what I call boring signage, but boring, uh, boring being a good term, uh, mm-hmm. going way, way back. Is that still a, a substantial amount of what right. you do? The integrations are the key to our entire business, um, and that's how we also differentiate ourselves in terms of our integration. So it's a skill set and a capability that we built early on. And you're right. Um, you have to think of a way that makes the signage actually useful to your end users yes. and creates value to not only the, the people seeing your screens, but then to the locations. And so they have something that people actually want to see. And so our case, our first hook was really around pulling and scheduling information. And we've expanded that into so many different areas. Um, so our, our capabilities around the integrations is really key. And I know, Dave, I've seen in some of your other podcasts where you even mentioned a little bit about the way you you think that some CMSs are too generic in nature um, and that they should be sort of industry focused. And I, and I agree with you on one respect, but I think on the other, you have to have a capability that's really meaningful to yeah. clients over time that that actually does give you some, you know, some stickiness. And the other thing I was thinking about um, and, and why you don't know as much about reach is I think we took a, a little bit different path uh, in terms of our own marketing and how we grew grew our, a lot of our clients, whereas some other CMSs may have just focused on going to the sort of the industry trade shows, which we, we went to as well. We would go heavy into a verticals trade show. So we would find a vertical we like, maybe it's churches or um, car washes, and we'd start hitting all these these industry-specific shows. So we would be the only digital signage company that would be you know setting up a booth at these kind of random verticals. Uh, mm-hmm. And it started to really grow because we'd be the only one there and you'd start to take on, you know, 10, 20, 40, 50 customers. So you develop some capabilities within these industries. So you become the car wash guy or you become the church guy or you become these variety of verticals. I think that really helped in our growth. Um, and now that we've sort of expanded with, with so many clients, we don't do quite as much of that anymore. But it's really the way in which we sort of navigated our, our, uh, our uh, client growth and our grow to market strategy. Yeah, and I think that's really smart. Uh, I, I've written about that a few times about companies that uh, don't put all of their marketing eggs in in the Infocom or the DSE basket. Right. They show up at uh, these weird little shows like airport technology mm-hmm. or, or right. airport security conference. Yep. And like you say, you're the only you're the, the one pretty girl at the dance. <laughs> Yeah, no, it's it's made a huge difference in terms of that. And I think um, that kind of gets back to our support too. When you start to build these relationships and people refer you and you sort of get get uh, grow your market space in there in that as well. For over a decade, ScreenFeed has been the reliable choice for beautifully designed, licensed content such as news and weather. We handle over 27 million requests a day to deliver dynamic content to 200,000 screens across the globe. 
Now we bring you ScreenFeed Connect, a no-code solution that makes complex content projects easy. Projects that used to take our designers and developers weeks became a to-do we could complete before lunch. The easy-to-use browser-based tool leverages pre-built data connections and ready-made widgets to give you the power to design with data. Create team member profiles, schedules, tenant directories, progress boards, featured products, or anything that leverages your data. Discover how Connect empowers you to complete projects faster at screenfeed.com. You mentioned you're doing more work in hospitals and corporate. Are those, is that because you focused on it or is it just an area that seems to be growing? Kirsten is our EVP of sales and marketing, and she is the one that's really talking to the customers and has the most insight. I'm just the one that watches the sales come in and smiles, uh, you know, at the end of the month, hopefully. (laughs) And yells at people if they don't come in. Yeah, that's that's (laughs) right. I do that. That's a thank you, Dave. I like that. I so I would say in terms of hospitals and corp and uh, kind of our corporate clients, you know, it it wasn't like we were going after that industry by any means. It is. I always think of it as the use cases. So, I mean, we could provide the same exact use case for a corporate company that we provide for a hospital, that we provide for education. And my examples always goes back to like, say, break rooms. So employee communications. It really doesn't matter which vertical you're in. That use case is pertinent to any type of industry. Um, I think with COVID, that's where we saw the biggest uptick in um, you know, corporate and healthcare for us. Um, mm-hmm. Mass General was one one of the biggest ones that came to us pre-COVID um, and kind of really um, working with their head of IT to kind of build the network within Partners Healthcare, which that's what Mass General is a part of. So that's just one example. But in terms of our corporate and employee communications, where we really started seeing it taking off is, again, going back to those integrations. We really focused on the integrations that were most common amongst our entire client portfolio. So one example being Power BI. We were one of the first CMSs to build a Power BI app that was easily mm. uh, they could easily authenticate through, pull in their reports and dashboards, built a OneDrive integration. We built you know Zoom WebEx um, Teams integration. So all these small integrations that they don't have to pay extra for, they can easily do it themselves. That is something I think that's where we saw our um, corporate footprint really start to grow. The other thing that's funny about that, because I was on some of those calls <laughs> and I was thinking about the Power BI one in particular with the client and they're still our client. They've been with us for five or six years and they've grown quite a bit. We were on the call and they said, can you do this? And I'm, I am in my IT guy, uh, head of IT. Uh, his name's Nate Davis. He's outstanding, our, our chief technology officer. And, and Nate's always, uh, he's great because he, he says, there is definitely a way we can build this. How much it's going to cost and how much time it's going to take might be a different thing. But we ended up building this and I committed to the customer at the time. We're going to get this Power BI app built and we built it in, I'll say, four weeks or whatever, but it's a great application. And that's kind of the way in which we go to market in terms of if our clients are asking for something and we think we can build it for them and then and obviously leverage it to other clients as well, uh, th- that is certainly uh, something we will do to help win some deals and, and uh, show that flexibility and our willingness to partner with our clients over time. Is that why you have 20 developers? Because that, that it seems like a lot of people uh, for a, a relatively small company to be focused on development, but there, there's a lot of work to do with those integrations, yes. right? There is, but um, there's sort of twofold. 
Um, one, we have a goal of doubling our revenue uh, in the next two, basically two years. So we feel like we're in a really good spot. Uh, we're really aggressive now in, in, in hiring people and sort of coming out of COVID and realizing the success that we, we've had and, and will continue to have. Uh, we really want to hit the accelerator. So I've been spending a ton of money on the team. We're doing a giant CMS rewrite uh, that we're spending almost $2 million on. Um, and so uh, we're sort of all in to try and try and take the company to the next level. And I don't even mind telling people this because it doesn't doesn't it's just part of our vision. Um, mm. it, you know, a year ago, we were at five million in in recurring revenue. And this we had a great year last year and we expect to be at 10 uh, by the end of 2024. Yeah, 2024. So those are some big, big aspirational jumps. But that's what we're going for. Mm-hmm. And how is this being funded? Is it just uh, out, of, out of your own revenues or, or are you yeah. backed? No, no, I was, oh, um, uh, I'll probably, you know, I guess I had some original investors. Thank you, mom, my uncle, my cousins. <laughs> uh, no, so it's all been, uh, I just raised a little bit of seed money when I first started. This is 2005. We haven't raised money in, I don't know, 10 years. Uh, and I bought out a lot of the investors along the way. Um, I mean, they're literally, they'd put in 10,000, 20,000 bucks. So, uh, it, it wasn't, I mean, it's a lot of money, but right. it, relatively speaking, it was small, but I'm yeah, always focused on making money. So that's the one thing I never wanted to be beholden to investors or, or banks or anybody else. Uh, I've never taken the private equity or excuse me at the time, I guess the VC money, because I had a vision for the company. I wanted to control it. And I was perfectly fine, by the way, running on a path that was different from others that I was fine with, uh, incremental or continuous growth and making profit at the same time. Um, maybe that's why, you know, we didn't grow as fast as we could have because, you know, I had a budget and, and I stuck to it. Uh, but at the same time, I think it put it in a, in a much better position and in a strong, when you're scrappy all the time, it forces you to do different things. And I'm not saying mm-hmm. Kirsten and team would call me cheap. Would you <laughs> Never. don't answer, don't answer. Yeah. But I was very, prudent. Uh, I think, yeah, prudent. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> value added or yeah. Yeah. Value centric. No, uh, but I, I really wanted to invest the things that I, I thought added the most, um, were the most meaningful for our clients. So support and, you know, uh, being flexible with them and, and trying to, you know, provide free services like creative and all these things that, that really add value over time. Um, so to kind of answer your question, I think our path has been a little bit different, uh, but certainly right. one I wouldn't go back on. Are you getting the phone calls and the emails and hi, how you doing from, uh, private equity and VC people? I do, but I don't respond. And it's been a nonstop. Um, <laughs> it's been a nonstop. And that's actually, you know, when you get a SaaS company that can sort of get, so there's different, um, there's sort of different stages in, in a SaaS company is, is, you know, if you can get to $1 million, you can kind of grind out and do that. If you can get to the two to 3 million, uh, that's a win. And when you get to five, it's it's kind of an interesting thing because they, the uh, SaaS or uh, private equity and, and some VC, they start to come hard because they like the model and it's sort of working. They have a lot of cash available too. That's kind of in the industry. Um, so they're trying to make investments and do things. But uh, f- for me, it was never really about the money or trying to sell. Obviously, we have the company for almost 20 years. So um, I love the employees. I love what we're doing. Um, I think for, for me, resetting our goals of trying to double our revenue was really exciting because uh, we mm-hmm. also had to redo. We had to add staff. Uh, we, you know, we're adding new, uh, some new leadership right now in terms of a customer success director uh, to really manage the team and hopefully take our st- customer success to the next level. And so to me, the challenge is trying to grow that revenue and really uh, redo things in the company uh, and build in new processes that are going to make us scalable to that $10 million uh, bogey. I, I assume it's I'm a not going to be put it well. this way. I'm not yeah. going to be sitting on a beach in Nova Scotia with you, Dave, Okay, <laughs> counting all your cash what? that you made. 
That's right. Well, you wouldn't want to today anyways. It's snowing, although not as badly as it does in Minnesota. What's coming, or actually, let me back up. I was curious, one thing you said where you are doing a complete software rewrite. Mm -hmm. And is that kind of a nod to web services and everything that's emerging with technology right now where uh, you, you can't just continually build out something that you know go, traces back in some respects to 2005. I know uh, a company in the yeah. UK that built their platform in I think 2015 and by 2019 or so they said, you know what, we're tearing it up and we're going to rebuild. Yeah, because they could see all the new capabilities out there. Yeah, there, there's two. Um, there's sort of two uh, answers to your question. One is. Um, we were getting customer feedback that, um, which, which they've been great, by the way, we, our MPS score is, is super and we love that stuff. And they give great feedback every time, like, um, that we can really use. And some of it was, Hey, it's a little hard to use now. It's a little clunky. It's a little, this little, that we love your stuff. Um, and we really needed to just take a look at our CMS and make it easier to use the, the challenge. So sort of going back, uh, when you try and please every customer, you end up building a lot of one-off stuff along the way. And so yeah. <laughs> um, all of a sudden you look at your application and yeah, it's, it's robust, but it's not exactly intuitive because you have to do X, Y, and Z. And we built a lot of this stuff quickly to try and get those deals closed and, and um, sort of build it out. So one first part was just, you know what, we need to refresh and reset and get more customer feedback and, and more UI and UX uh, capabilities into our platform. So that was sort of, in, you know, in, uh, trigger number one. The second was, the industry is changing too, by the way. It's not just signage on a screen anymore. You have to be able to reach people outside of, of sort of your traditional office setting or facilities. And so we've mm-hmm. spent more time on trying to make our application flexible so people from home can see our digital signage on their computers through Teams or through uh, website digital signage or just a more flexible approach to meet people because they're not always coming into the office anymore. And th- the communications team still want to reach people. We just want to be a more flexible platform to do that. Kirsten, what, do you have any additional thoughts on that? I know you, you, you uh, talk to the clients quite a bit. Yeah, I was going to say, I mean, kind of going back to when I started too, um, one thing you might know, not know about me, Dave, but Darren hired me as our project manager for our mobile application that he thought was really going to take off. <laughs> um, you, you test and you learn, okay, Dave? You test and you learn and you evolve. <laughs> I have so no I problem. A- I, I have no problem making mistakes, a lot of mistakes, and learning from them. Uh, so learning how to code without having a degree in coding was very interesting, but oh, um, yeah. we did it. <laughs> um, but no, I would say you know one thing I've learned over the years is you know we've we tried to add on all these additional solutions. Um, what we learned was we can't be everything to everyone. Um, and really focus on what we're good at, which again, goes back to that digital signage. But we do have these additional solutions still, you know, we still support, um, you know, the mobile app still brings us in a decent amount of revenue. Um, so our, you know, mobile application that say employees from can download to view more information. It can be again, going back to those fitness centers, maybe they're viewing schedules, things like that. But what we've really tried to push people towards is that, like Darren said, the website digital signage where it's, say, embedded in their intranet. Um, So they can push the same messaging from their digital signage into um, the website. So remote employees can view the same messaging. And it's right there, too. So you're not expected to say it's a screensaver. Well, it's not something that that particular employee can disable. It's something that they're forced to see because they have to go in their intranet every day. Um, so I'd say that's kind of what we've seen. Um, it's just kind of an add on to their digital signage network, if you will. 
Hmm. Are are you finding that the the average customer is more equipped with knowing what they want and how they're going to use it than in the past when you know I'm sure in 10 years ago yeah. the the conversations you had were just explaining what the hell digital signage was right. and I, I assume now that uh, they know exactly what it is and they know how they want to use it yeah we've definitely if you if you sort of think about I'll say even five years ago, we used to sell a hell of a lot more hardware in this all-in-one solution where we'd sell them the screen, the media mm-hmm. player, the installation, the mounts. We'd sell it all because that's that's all they knew. Um, and so over the last couple of years, our hardware has gone way down, which is awesome because that's a, one industry we don't want to be in. Um, yeah. And we're, we're repurposing a lot of stuff. So we repurpose some competitors, uh, players at times. Um, we start to uh, just sell more software and it's already set up as well. Um, where we're just replacing stuff that they have. I'm also curious about AI and how that plays a role in uh, future development, or does it? For us, not really. I can't say that's been an ask. From I know there's other companies out there that actually do that. They may be more retail centric or, or or whatever. That I wouldn't say retail is a huge industry for us, uh, or huge vertical, because there are some certain things that that other companies do better than us. We have not spent any time really thinking about AI. We're, we're really trying to focus on on trying to expand our um, our quote unquote reach outside of the traditional office setting through those applications that right. uh, Kirsten had just mentioned. Yeah, I know all the all the. AI stuff for digital science to date has been focused on computer vision, but I, I, mm-hmm. I could imagine all kinds of capabilities around content production, uh, smart scheduling, you know, smart triggering, all that sort of stuff down the road. But, uh, you know, it, it's still just evolving right now. Yeah. And it's just a capability. Um, you know, as Kirsten, we can't be everything to everybody. And we're really trying to sort of stick to that. Uh, Reach has been notoriously famous for uh, creating applications that were about 80% done. <laughs> we would get them to work. We could get them to work, but we never really kind of got that full uh, implementation communication, you know, out to the client. So that's actually the one thing that I changed last year in terms of in two, beginning of 2020, I said, we just have to stop this. Part of it's my fault, but maybe it's all my fault, but um, <laughs> it was a direction we set where we really were trying to always, it's like, no, no, let's just hit the pause button. Let's do things that are meaningful. Let's do things that are purposeful, that our clients are asking for, and that we can communicate back out. And so that was one of the big shifts that we made at the beginning of last year. And to get user feedback, we would build stuff sometimes with basically never talking to our clients or sort of assuming what they wanted. Um, and then it would sometimes be right, but sometimes be wrong. And um, so we really hit the pause button and sort of changed our strategy around um, uh, you know, really development. And that's also uh, why I think we added seven developers last year and just changed some processes. So uh, like I said, these are big investments in the space. Hmm. All right. Uh, this has been great. If people want to know more about your company, where do they find you online? Yeah, you can find us at um, on our website. Um, there is a contact us form that they can fill out um, to learn more. So our website is reachmedianetwork.com. As opposed to the four or five other reach medias that you'll find <laughs> yeah. if you Google it, right? <laughs> yeah. Correct. Yeah. yeah reach no Media kidding. Network digital signage. <laughs> you know what's there, funny? There I'll just go. tell you one, one last thing is we were actually broadsigned uh, second or third customer just to give you a sense of how long <laughs> we've actually been in the space. I, and I, you know, so RIP Brian Duchot because I was sorry to hear that. Uh, but I remember yeah. working with Brian and there was a, they were actually out in Idaho at the time. Uh, that's how long ago it was. But uh, I just thought when, when, you know, sort of thinking about the company and our journey over the years, 
uh, to see kind of mm-hmm. broadside where they're at and kind of where we're at. But we actually were their second or third customer way back when in 2005. Back in the day, yeah. Mm-hmm. All right. Uh, thanks. Thanks again for taking the, the time with me. Appreciate it, Dave. Thanks. We look forward to seeing you at your next party. Absolutely. All right. <laughs> thanks, Dave. That's it for this week's episode. I hope you enjoyed it and maybe you learned a thing or two. If you're new to 69, it's a podcast that's been around since 2016. You can click around the archive and find hundreds of conversations with smart industry people. If you're new to digital signage, you need to be reading 69 at 16-9.net. You'll find more than 8,000 posts by me and expert guest writers about this industry. 16.9 is not a press release republishing mill, like a lot of the stuff out there. If something makes it on 16.9, that means it matters in some way to the business. Everything about 16.9 is free. Great sponsors make my work possible, and the key one here is ScreenFeed, the digital signage content store. Check out all the curated and automated content available at ScreenFeed.com. 16.9, the blog, and the podcast are now owned by Spectrio, which does customer engagement solutions, most of that digital signage, for all kinds of businesses. You'll find them in the Tampa area and online at Spectrio. That's Spectrio.com. You'll find me working out of a sunny back room in my house, located outside Halifax, Nova Scotia, on the east coast of Canada. Thanks for listening. I'm Dave Haynes.